I know jack about the Bundesliga compared to the PL. So everything with a grain of salt. Welcome to Just in the Nick of Time. That should be our motto. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's returned, so. Yeah. We're going to talk about whatever the hell sports are happening right now, right? <laughs> yes. So let's get rolling, Justin. All, all throughout the sports world, in the United States at least, I can sense the shift from the no bad idea stage into the planning stage of said mm-hmm. re- of return of said sports, as you can. If that you doesn't mean that there are, that that no bad ideas. Oh yeah, that's over. Like there are still very bad ideas out there. Yes, <laughs> and college football has been in the we're going to plan like there's nothing wrong stage for. A while up until this week, where I think things became the most real. Three schools uh, in the Division I FBS, they are, these three schools are part of the CSU University system, which has announced that it will be largely virtual for this entire uh, upcoming semester. And this in is fall. in Colorado? Uh, California. Oh, okay. Sorry. You said yeah. CSU. I was like, Colorado State University? Why do we know yeah. that they're not playing football? <laughs> oh, there goes the Pac-12. <laughs> well, maybe. So, but the three schools that are affected by this are San Jose State, San Diego State, and Fresno State. And Wait, so like three people lost their like preseason, like, like their like first three weeks non-conference opponents. Yes, this does affect a lot of people's non-cons. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it also we- <laughs> and it also would affect the Mountain West, the conference that all of them are in, and they're scheduling entirely. But the Mountain West says that they have no announcements to make at this time as to whether they're going to complete a full season or not. And the San Diego Union Tribune is reporting that the San Diego State is still planning on having a football season even if students are not allowed back on campus, which runs contradictory to what NCAA President Mark Emmert said would have to happen for football to return. He said, if all students are not allowed back on campus, I don't see how you could return. Well, now we're starting to see either a backtrack of that or his, his feet are being pushed to the fire is what I'm saying about this statement. Either yeah. San Diego State plays football and then, like, the veil of amateurism is ripped off even more than it already is. Which is, like, a good thing. One of the things, so, like, here's a totally random aside that only tangentially refers to sports, but I feel like we're going to end up coming back to it a lot today on mm-hmm. a lot of things. One of the things that is universally true in everything I've seen and read and experienced during this whole pandemic is that it old broken systems just don't cut the mustard now. You can't lie to people right now. Effectively, you know, the more and more people are invested in like what is true, what makes sense, what is honest, what is the core of an issue. And so I think that, you know, obviously I I don't have to express to anybody how great a tragedy this is. And we try and keep the show light and not talk about that kind of stuff. But I think one of the things I'm thinking about in both the sports reporting context, but then in general, like reporting and life context is this is a transformative force that is going to shape the way people see the world for years to come 
after this. And I think one of the things that we're seeing fall is like institutions that are predicated on ignoring reality and ignoring like what's really going on within the institutions in saying something's true amateurism, saying mm -hmm. something's truly about academics, saying something's truly about, you know, if we come out the other side of this and the words student athlete have a little less ring to them, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And just to show you how blurred the lines have been for quite some time now, somebody from Zion Williamson's marketing company has said that he received $1 million in benefits to go to Duke. And that's like the fifth biggest story in a week with no sports. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, man, we knew this. Oh, we yeah. We knew this. If you told me this, I wouldn't have been surprised. I'm a Duke no. fan. I'm glad Duke does this stuff. Because Duke is one of my sellout teams, and I want Duke to act this way. If Coach K is just like throwing like small woodland creatures into a wood chipper in his office, fine. Fine. What? Whatever he thinks it takes to win national championships, he can do. Because you know what? He delivers. How many gophers would you accept dying? For a all the national champion. All of them? That would wreck I mean, the ecosystem of the Midwest. Let's keep two gophers for posterity. No. And the rest of the gophers can go. That's too few. You know how many woodchucks I would chuck? If a woodchuck could chuck me a national championship, all the woodchucks. <laughs> but you can't just leave two. That's going to leave incest gophers for like the next couple generations. Yeah, but the we need like ten gophers. Fine. <laughs> no, mostly. <laughs> I'm just saying, my general disillusionment with the NCAA is high. So if I sound harsh, it's okay. because I'm not the state of college athletics, <laughs> which is fair because like this this season's going to be the biggest you know cluster storm like. The sports scene in hundreds of years. <laughs> My starting point of those three schools, not likely to have football unless they break all the rules. That really wouldn't be notable if just those three schools weren't the ones playing. But the rest of California is expected to follow suit, which would drop every Division One California school. And then Oregon and Washington typically follow what California does. So they'll likely drop out as well if all of California is gone. So then that leaves four teams in the Pac-12 that could play, which I don't think is enough to have any resemblance of a full season, even if they scramble together a bunch of non-conference games. So what so has... we've got Arizona, New Mexico State. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. Oh, right, yes. Mm -hmm. I mixed up. Are you telling me Colorado might not play football next year? <laughs> this is great news, man. This is pretty great. Um, no, well, okay. Cool story, bro. The Pac-12 has how many teams, right? Or, I'm sorry. The Big 12 has how many teams? Ten? Ten. There are a 14-team conference. Whoever wins the Big 10 now undisputably gets the fourth <laughs> playoff berth. We never allow Washington, Oregon, and California back into football. They're basketball states now. <laughs> I fixed I fixed college football. Well, that's certainly one idea, but 
<laughs> Another idea I've seen, and this has been, I guess, take this from a grain of salt because Colin Cowherd was the first to report this, but since it deals with USC athletics, it has a lot more truth than something he would normally report does. Um, USC and Alabama are scheduled to play week one, and if that game doesn't happen, then TCU will likely play them because TCU plays UCLA. If USC doesn't play, UCLA probably won't either. So his reporting mm. is that TCU-Alabama TCU, is likely a go for week one, while the Pac-12 focuses on a spring season. So we have a whole season without the Pac-12, then Pac-12, like likely Pac-12 slash Mountain West only in the spring. Nope, we're done. We can't podcast. I just, <laughs> what? <laughs> ah, okay. So let's unpack this. Oh, that makes my brain hurt. Christ. Yes. So this is what I was, my larger point I was getting to, is that (laughs) we could have a half and half season. I don't know if we will. I I assume we'll know a whole lot more, probably the second this episode gets released. But (laughs) at the time right now, this is what we're looking at. Oh, God. Um, so, I have several thoughts. Okay. One, do we just wait to have the playoff? I, I honestly don't know if we'll recognize a playoff this year. Like, we have a national champion? I, what if the Skurs get hot this year? I think we might just have to play our conference, get, play, win the conference, and that's it. Like, the good old days. Bring back the BCS. Bring back no. the BCS. No. Be the supercomputer. No. The only thing no. worse than old athletic directors picking teams is a damn computer. Ah, uh, I'm skittish to give it to athletic directors. I think that's how you end up with split championship. Yeah, I want the computer back. The computer no. doesn't need things to happen simultaneously. Give me the strongest team. Strength of schedule, record... I test number magic. You gotta yeah. watch the team play in order. No. no, just give it to the nerds. Have the nerds put it in their little computer, push up their glasses, and then it'll spit out a national champion. We will FedEx them the trophy. <laughs> the nerds are what are what gave us Alabama LSU in the championship game. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember how crap of a game that was? That was a bad game. Yeah. That's, that's enough for me to say death to the nerds. Like, and no, 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 and, we, I, 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 we are not playing a national championship in this scenario. We are just letting the computer... Here's what I love about this. Okay. You know how sometimes on the last day of a golf tournament, yes. some golfer who's like in the middle of the pack breaks out yeah and he just goes out there shoots like a you know 59 on the day and just like puts himself in contention to win we call that the so schwartzel this, yeah he charles pulls a schwartzel and now here we are and we know that tiger who's in the last pairing needs to catch him mm-hmm. right that's how the pac-12 feels now <laughs> that's a super compelling feeling for me as a football team to know that like 
we have to, with our strength of schedule, do exactly this to win a natty. And oh, by the way, we never play the other team. We never talk to them. We never see them. But here they are all spring because reporters are asking him questions and reporters are, you know, going to the clubhouse to talk to Charles, who's like, you know, little old Ohio State or whoever who's posted that score, you know. And here's the other thing. The other thing I like about this is it allows other conferences to choose to delay to the spring too, which Mm -hmm. then – brings in not only coronavirus considerations and economic considerations, but football considerations. The Huskers this year. Yes. Obviously would have liked to have a nice, long, warm, soaking spring training. Mm -hmm. Uh, Didn't get to have a real training camp. Aren't going to have real stuff over the summer. We are going to look raw if we play in the fall. So from a – Nick McConnell playing athletic director perspective and I recognize the economic impacts and I recognize that it's possible that those outweigh but from a purely football perspective <laughs> if you told me you get to play in the fall or you get to play in the spring I am saying I will see you in January we are going to spend the entirety of the fall semester in Cook Pavilion. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see you next spring. Like, cause I don't want to, I don't want to see this team come August. I'm scared as hell, especially without a camp. I, which is, and I think a lot of teams feel this way. And I think a lot of teams recognize that trying to run out there and put this like show on the road is going to make them look like early week XFL. Oh, wow. and everyone's going to check out right yes. it's gonna have real like hodgepodge xfl vibes and i love the xfl and you got to have a great chat with nick wyman and i had to go and i feel really guilty and this is my public admission of me feeling really guilty that i wasn't able to be there for that conversation and also that i haven't listened to it yet is it out yes it's on my youtube page the just okay you know, show. i'm gonna do it later i'm gonna do it later the, the, the effort died with coronavirus but um <laughs> but i think i would much prefer as most college football teams to play that spring season. If my like school and frankly community could rally around the idea that our normal fall money is getting delayed by six months in the midst of a huge economic crisis. And this goes back to the whole, we're stripping away the bullshit. You know, we now have to consider that businesses in downtown Lincoln might close and never reopen if we don't have football this fall. That is, um, hey, y'all should go check out a Journal Star story that I have a co-byline on about the kind of money we lost just because we didn't have a spring game in this state. The sheer percentage of raw economic activity that happens solely because of football in this town is insane. And, And like, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's going to be a life or death thing for businesses if we do it. Then again, epidemiologists are going to tell you it's a life or death thing for people whether or not we do it. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact. Especially if we're all packing into stadiums and bars downtown. Yeah. (laughs) 
which the hope of that seems ambitious at best. I'm not but, gonna make statements about this because it's been politicized. Catchy. So, <laughs> hey. <laughs> well, if Nebraska does play in the fall, there's another. Uh, the hits will keep on coming because what has been discussed, according to ESPN's Brett McMurphy, amongst the conferences themselves, is that if certain members drop out, I think the Pac-12 will be the most affected by this, as I said previously, and will likely only have four teams ready to kick off in the fall. But but Big Ten, I'm not so sure if Maryland and Rutgers, their states will be in the place where they're ready to open the campus and have the fall football season. So what's been discussed as replacements for those games, according to ESPN's Brett McMurphy, is teams will have home and homes with in-conference opponents instead. So instead of Rutgers, how about Wisconsin twice? <laughs> you want to hear the spin? You want to hear the spin? Yes. Here's the spin. Rematches don't go well for the team that won the first time. Unless there's such a clear talent gap like there is between us and the big boys. Even, even when there's a t- clear talent gap. Weird things happen in rematches. I'm giving you spin. I'm giving you spin. You have to accept that this is the only positive spin that could possibly (laughs) be put on this. That, and I'm sure Madison's lovely. Enjoy the road trip up there, folks. Um, Yeah, I mean, God, it's terrifying. But we're going to be Schrodinger's team. We're going to be the team that beat Wisconsin. We're also going to be the team that lost Wisconsin. At all times, at lost Wisconsin. Like, at all times, we're going to be good and also not good. Uh, there will be no way of discerning what we are. Which, to me, says, like... Progress? I, I mean, like, split-line bull team. If we stumble to five and seven and one of those wins is a second leg of a, oh my God, Justin, you know what they need to do? Double headers. Aggregate soccer. (laughs) Now you're talking. Yeah. I love that. You got to win by more than one touchdown if more of your touchdowns are away. The math (laughs) nerds are going to go crazy. (laughs) Can we please have that? Like, I'd be cool with a just Big Ten conference season, like just our division, but we aggregate the whole damn schedule. I think that would, like, definitely not play in the Huskers' favor. Absolutely not. Because, like, what aggregates do is they ensure that the better team wins. (laughs) And, like, that's not something you want when you're the Nebraska Huskers right now. It would have been great for us in the 90s because, like, the years we slipped up, we just barely slip up one game and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Not now. Not here. Oh, man. Dude. We're – God, they should put us in charge of the NCAA. They really should. So, NCAA President Mark Emmert has said that he is no longer mandating a universal return for false sports. So – some schools footballing in the spring and some in the fall. Heck, some in, the, some in August and some in October. All of those things are on the table and well within whatever guidelines 
then CGA decides it wants to enforce. <laughs> okay, here's a crazy thought. Yes. What if we just, like, didn't want to play fall football? So we went and joined the Pac-12 for a year. <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility, Justin. Nothing it's, is. That sounds like contract hell, but, like... <laughs> we could absolutely be a Pac-12 football team, and I would not be surprised. That would be a fun year, even if we could... I don't know. Like, at least the games we lose would be wildly entertaining. I can, Because besides Oregon and SC and Washington, I don't see any Pac-12 team just killing us. I see right. a lot of teams doing what Colorado did to us and pulling a right. win out of their hat. But I also see us doing that to at least six teams. <laughs> yes. And, and I, don't, I don't see that in the Big Ten right now. And like, I'd be a little surprised. We could we could play Mike Riley in Oregon State. Uh, do we have anything else on NCAA football? A sport that may happen in a few months and may happen next year. And oh my God, ah, my brain hurts after this conversation. Uh, Formula One had a bit of a shakeup this week. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Um. Yeah. So, I honestly have been trying to think ever since this happened, like, how to tell this story on the podcast. Because F1 is such a circular and, like, self-immolating world that, like, it's very difficult to, like, talk about specific incidents without a ton of backstory. So, we are going to run through what I think are the absolute necessary facts to understand. Um, if you've listened about F1 on the podcast in the past, good. You should be caught up on like the basics I'm going to cover here. I am not going to explain to you like who teams are, what their standing is. We've covered anything we've, I think we've covered sufficiently in past podcasts. I mean, I assume, you know, or can Google. So that's, I, we have to be done with this by 7 p.m. So, uh, you know, that's why I'm not going to go back and cover that stuff. Here's what I can tell you. Um, Sebastian Vettel, formerly a Red Bull driver, became a Ferrari driver after Red Bull kind of dropped off. Vettel has had a star-studded career, but his best four years as far as standings go, and you can disagree whether or not it was his best driving ever, that's fair, but as far as standings go, were those four were four of his years at Red Bull from, and don't quote me, I think 2010, 2011, 2012, and 2013 season, he won four ships. Moves to Ferrari. And when Vettel moves to Ferrari, it's a pivotal moment in Formula One. Everyone thinks Ferrari's back. Everyone's convinced that, like, oh my God, they're going to be unstoppable, right? Like, it, it's kind of like... Arba going to Michigan? Yeah, that's a perfect example. I was going to say, like, LeBron going to the Heat, but then they sucked. Um, we won four like, straight games. Oh, okay. No, if I'm saying if they had sucked. They were very good. If the Heat had sucked, <laughs> then that would have been a little more... Fitting. Yeah. So, um, Ferrari, like, and to be fair, Ferrari hasn't sucked. 
Um, but Ferrari has not put the kind of heat on Mercedes that everyone thought. Now, here is background we definitely haven't covered on the podcast before. And it's key to Sebastian Vettel's story. So Seb Vettel won all of his championships before we changed power modes from V8 full fuel engines to V6 hybrid power engines. Go yell at people on Reddit about whether or not you think this was a good idea. Don't at me. Whatever you do, if anyone listening to this podcast cares enough to at me, I'm not going to fight you because I haven't been around Formula One long enough to have a solid opinion about whether or not the V8s were better. I know I like trees, which is why I like hybrid power. Um, Vettel historically has said, you know, these cars are nothing compared to the old cars. I can't win in these cars because, you know, they're an inferior thing and I've only learned to drive the best. Grah, 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 German engineering, yada, 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 sadness. Um, and so that has been a big part of the excuse making for Vettel for a long time. Another thing is Vettel is a great driver. <laughs> does not have the Ferrari like for a long time until until a thing we're about to talk about neither Ferrari driver had like the classic Ferrari like air and panache uh when you think Ferrari drivers think honestly think the Italian car from cars um that is what they are going for that is the vibe just cars like two oily or cars people. one what's that yeah, cars. cars two. No, not the little, not like little Guido and the and the tire selling guy. Luigi. I'm talking like the Federico Benedetti, like the, the like the very <laughs> like you can hear a Terran tell every time he shows up on screen in the back of your mind. It's like he's like actually the colors of the flag. That car is like definitely meant to be a Ferrari. Excellent uh, example. Right. Yeah, that is how American audiences are going to be able to understand what like what <laughs> Ferraris like. No, but like. That but serious and takes itself incredibly seriously, almost to the point of self-parody sometimes, uh, which we'll get to. Um, but Seb never fit that bill. Seb is a very technically focused driver. Uh, Seb, you know, complains about the way the sport is going, which, like, Ferrari drivers historically haven't cared. Like, strap me into this thing. I'm going to put my foot down, and we're going to win races, or we're going to wreck the car. And, like, those are, like, the two acceptable outcomes for Ferrari. First or <laughs> DNF. Uh, then you start to get the think pieces of Ferrari have lost their way, and it's Seb's fault. And, you know, this isn't the Ferrari I grew up with. Roar, roar, roar. I'm a British autosport journalist that, like, is angry. Ah, this is keyboard typing. Um, <laughs> I'm keeping that. And so, good. Okay. For every, I just did, like, a frantic keyboard typing motion and then explained to Justin that's what I was doing so I didn't look like I was, like, a T-Rex or something. Anyway. I was getting more um, of a frantic cat vibe. Yeah. Think of them as frantic cats riding on keyboards, and you've got a pretty good image of British autosport journalists. So, <laughs> whom I respect deeply and would be a fun job. But that is definitely the online vibe they give off. Uh, 
And so, anyway, Seb, then in the last couple of years, it's been pretty clear in the current Ferrari system and the way things have been going, he's never going to catch Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, which was the whole thing. Like early on, Mercedes got really good because they made a smoother transition to hybrid power than Ferrari did. And then they just never, like, Ferrari has just never caught up that gulf. And you could argue that it's widened. Um, Ferrari has been involved in some very technical and very specific, but also very important cheating scandals. This is super complicated stuff, so I'm butchering this. But basically, they were pumping things back into their engine illegally that they were supposed to be, like, jettisoning jettisoning as exhaust that was making the car faster very very like basic like go look it up it's super interesting stuff but i'm not well versed enough to be able to explain the technical details and i also don't remember them because it happened a year ago and oh my god coronavirus (laughs) oh a slight backtrack ferrari get a new driver his name is charles leclerc and he is gorgeous he's like everything you expect in a ferrari driver a little bit stoic a little bit fiery he does his talking on the track and off the track you know he's got like thick hair he's from monaco he's like you know he is like this perfect little european pretty boy like ferrari driver he's what you want and don't get me wrong because a lot of this is going to sound like i don't like ferrari and that's kind of true. Like, Ferrari is a team where lots of people love to hate them. But I definitely understand the Ferrari ethos in a way that, like, I have trouble doing with, like, teams in other sports that I don't like. Like, I get why someone could be a Ferrari fan. And I could absolutely see myself with the right drivers, with the right backroom staff, liking Ferrari in the future. One of the things I think is really cool about Formula One is because, like, the driver's seats and the whole ethos of a team and even the teams are so fluid. It's really not a bad, like I'm wearing a McLaren shirt today, but it's like, you can be pretty fluid in who you cheer for and nobody bats an eye. Okay. Nobody in their right mind. That's the current state of affairs at Ferrari. There's a young up and comer named Charles Leclerc who sparred with Vettel all year. They crashed like an inordinate amount of times last season. Um, this which, sounds like a great movie. It's, yeah, it's gonna be a great movie. It, like, absolutely, I think that they should make a movie about what has happened in F1 over the past week. <laughs> like, once the dust settles and we know what all these conversations look like, this is such a funny, like, it's it's going to be one of those, like, punchy and interesting, but also deeply funny sports movies someday. Because, like, Seb says what he thinks, and we still might have a season to drive, which means he needs to, like, be somewhat diplomatic so nobody clips him on the way into work. After we're done, all bets are off. And I get the feeling we're going to hear a lot of stuff about what's going on. Anyway, the specific thing with Seb clashing with Charles, it's really clear that things at Ferrari are like not going super well for him. He's not exactly excited and has made some comments in the past about how in 2021, and now I think it might be 2022, the regulations have shifted, but soon we are getting new regulations making the cars again 
even more different from when Seb won his titles. And that might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. The camel's back might already have been broken, and he was giving Ferrari the runaround on contract deals. They might have said Charles was supposed to be learning from Seb, but then Charles starts outpacing Seb Oof. in the exact same machine. And so now we're letting, we've got this really incoherent strategy because theoretically we should be giving our number one driver the best chance to win. But out of our two drivers, our spoken number one driver is slower, like doesn't have the same pace on, on certain tracks at certain times. Again, don't at me. I don't want to have this argument. I do not have the patience. Uh, I, I don't have an opinion. They're both incredible drivers. I think it depends on the circuit. I think it depends on the day. Official statement of the McConnell campaign. So Seb called it quits with Ferrari. It, it was kind of out of the blue. It's not like, oh my God, I could never see this happening. But it felt like a weird time for it to happen. Because yes. if, if we have a season this year, we are not going to have a summer break. So normally summer break and like the weeks leading up to summer break are what's considered an F1 silly season. Um, which is when like the drivers just literally play musical chairs with their drives. Uh, if one domino moves in F1, there are only like, I mean, there's only 20 seats in F1. And at any given time, there are probably less than 40 people who have an actual qualification to take those seats. Like, like, are legally allowed. And then of those 40, there's like 30 people who you legitimately consider. And 20 of those people are already in seats. Or I guess now 19, because you just lost your way. So the first option, always, is to nickel and dime another team. Enter Ferrari. Seb leaves immediately. All of these top-level teams kind of have a pecking order of like, if this doesn't work, we're going after this guy. If that doesn't work, we're going after this guy. If that doesn't work, we're going after this guy. At this point, we don't know exactly what Ferrari's pecking order was. What we do know is that they landed Carlos Sainz. This is a phrase you're going to get used to. A former Red Bull system driver. Oh. So, Carlos drove for Red Bull, has driven for Renault, landed at McLaren this past year. Stellar, stellar driver. And again, you're going to get sick of hearing this in conjunction with Ferrari, very dark-haired continental European, like, pretty boy. So, Chile makes a lot of sense. Nobody is, like, totally solid in their seats. There are some people... Who doesn't already have their contract confirmed? Um, but there are definitely, like, there's not a whole lot of people I could see moving around that haven't yet in the top half of the field. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I like when things get shaken up. So now McLaren only has one driver. His name's Lando Norris. And he's a real sweetie. And everybody loves him. But he's, he's on high racing. He is on iRacing, yeah. Uh, really good guy. He struggled last year. He wasn't, like, even on the good days, didn't have the same qualifying pace as Sainz. Um, 
But the guy's, like, literally our age. And Signs is closer to, like, I think 23, 24. Um, which, you know, in the F1 world is, like, you know, 40 races, which is nothing to spit at. Um, I think trying to compare Norris to Signs was always a problem. Norris is clearly... McLaren knows that he's a steady number two drive and a solid bet for the future. But here's the thing. <laughs> McLaren got good and didn't expect to. Like, straight up, McLaren, I think, was closer to the front of the pack and the front three than they would have ever imagined over the course of the 2019 season. This is in no small part due to Carlos Sainz getting more out of that car than what that car can reasonably give, and both of them having some decent luck. If you picture a McLaren driver like you're going to picture a Ferrari driver, I mean, it's a very different thing. But he's going to be affable, (laughs) friendly, unless we're talking about Lewis Hamilton or Fernando Alonso, uh, and, like, there's at least an 80% chance he's from the Commonwealth, right? Like, McLaren is very much a British and Sun never sets on the British Empire team. Um, they've also, in the last couple of years, and, again, there's an internet debate about whether or not this has been a good idea. I love it. They've become the meme lord team. Um, Norris on iRacing. Madness. He shaved his head. All he does is wear bucket hats and like talk about how he like used to play Mario Kart competitively and like you know he does random stuff and he's like this just little sweet little British guy and he's real nice and everybody likes him. And then to just kick the meme lord factor up to a million, McLaren has signed Daniel Ricardo, my favorite driver in all of F1, and do you know what I'm going to say, Justin? You former know Red say? Bull, forget the other word. Former Red Bull racing driver. There we yes. go. Yes. Who, believe it or not, joined the team, like, not long after Seb left. To kind of tell Ricardo's backstory very, very quickly, and we talked about him in the past, frankly, just go watch Drive to Survive Season 1. It's all about this. Ricardo does well, but not, like, never gets a chance. It's clear he's never going to get the chance to win a championship at Red Bull. But, uh, and I, this you can at me about. Absolutely at me, because I will fight you. The best driver on the grid right now in pound-for-pound racing talent is Daniel Ricardo. I think he can get things out of cars that, no one, no one in the world should reasonably able, be able to expect. You need to Google two things to confirm this to you. One, it would have been the, I think, 2018 season, his performance at Monaco. His engine, he's, he puts the car on pole in Monaco, which is no small feat in and of itself, right? And then... In one of the most underappreciated and yet most heroic moments in the history of the sport, his power level cuts to, like, 85%, like, 10 laps into the race. And everybody's like, well, there goes Ricardo. There's no way he can possibly do this. You know, like, sure, it's hard to overtake here, but no one, no one, 
could keep a surging Lewis Hamilton, two surging Ferraris, and also like a fiery young teammate behind them for the entire race. This is really sad, but he's going to finish in like sixth at best. He won't. He w- oh my like, lord. The sheer level of grit it would take to be like, like some of the streets of Monaco are literally not much wider than my wingspan. And like he is leading a train of like F1 cars who are now all bunched up behind him through these streets without crashing while they're just like, you know how it's scary to get tailgated on the interstate? Imagine that, but it's Lewis Hamilton behind you and you only have 70% of the potential speed that his car can possibly go. And realistically, it's a Red Bull compared to a Mercedes. So let's put her at 65. Oh, and and he, he pulls it out. Like, no one's able to overtake him. He just knows where to put the car. He's got this sixth sense the entire race. And then, even in the so, – so, he gets fed up. Uh, because Max Verstappen, who is confirmed for 2021, God help us all. <laughs> God, he's a special little guy. Um, <laughs> Ricardo gets fed up having to fight with Max Verstappen, this, like, young Dutch upstart – for treatment at Red Bull. And, like, again, something you can actually fight with me about, Red Bull screwed Ricardo, right? He had given them good year after good year after good year, and they say, hey, we're going to put this, like, 12-year-old kid out of you in the rankings. Like, Max Verstappen began driving Formula One cars before he could drive a car legally on the road. Formula One cars, not, like, F2 cars. He had a super license before he had a driver's license. This kid was born with a steering wheel in his hands. And he is a generation-defining talent. He's super-duper good. I hope Red Bull – like, I hope the tech gap closes so that we can see closer races between them and Mercedes. But here's – Kim and Daniel just did not work well together. They constantly fought. They were very crashy. It was almost as bad as Seb and Charles. And so Ricardo decides to move on. And he moves to Renault. There's no love lost between those two teams. Um, Red Bull used to get their engines from Renault at about the same time that Renault took their, you know, who, the one who had historically been their better driver. Uh, Red Bull said they didn't want Renault's engines anymore. And so there's this, like, famous famous moment where and yes this is his name and yes i'll mispronounce it but cyril abutable uh the team principal at Renault, walks up to christian horner the team principal at red bull and says so now you need a driver and an engine uh and then red bull like you know is like oh you're right oh god what are we gonna do and then they come back and kick Renault next year because like red bull just does these things right That's, or like, sergio not butterball yeah, right. Yeah. Cyril Abitable, but pretty close, bud. Good try. <laughs> uh, things for Pete Buttigieg and uh, Daniel Ricardo aren't going so well at Renault. So he decides McLaren's got a seat open. McLaren reaches out to Ricardo, and then Ricardo takes that seat. So now it's Renault's turn. Seb could 
Take the open rental seat. <laughs> I just said that. I just said that. And, and th those words were recorded. I'm sorry. This idea is so laughable to me that I don't even think it's worth discussing. I absolutely don't believe that if you were having a time at Ferrari, that you're going to go have fun in a little yellow rental. Like, imagine if I walked up to you and I was like, hi, you're used to driving a Ferrari road car. Do you want to drive a rental road car? You I don't. Have, like, you just, it's just. I have never seen a rental on the streets in my lifetime. I don't even yeah, know what they look like. like. I like rental racing. They've got an incredible history. They always seem to be the guys who are like just almost there. But the best analogy I could make for American fans is like, what if Buick started an NASCAR team? Like, you know, and just like took your grandma's engine and threw it into a NASCAR stock car. Like, that's what Renault's trying to do. And Renault Power <laughs> has been ridiculously unreliable. Seb could go to the World Endurance Championships. This. I think, have we talked about the WEC? First time I've heard of it. So, WEC is like the Le Mans 24-hour. If you've seen Ford versus Ferrari, it's that race and that racing circuit. So, like, okay. teams drive things that look more like supercars for much longer than an F1 thing. race. Um, okay. Right. Seb, I don't think, has ever raced at Le Mans. But he has won an F1 World Championship, uh, and he's won at Monaco, which means either way you cut the Triple Crown of Motorsport, he's got one leg done. The 24 hours at Le Mans would be the second leg. There's a chance Seb would consider doing the third leg in IndyCar and winning the Indianapolis 500. There's a pretty good history of former Ferrari drivers going over and, and trying IndyCar and doing well. Now, the rental seat is open. Peter Buttigieg, peanut butter, jelly, syrup, beatable, said today uh, the most, like, incoherent statement. I'm going to look and see if I can find this statement. This is his quote. In our sport, and particularly within the current extraordinary situation, reciprocated confidence, unity, and uncertain and times. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, reciprocated confidence, which I just love that phrase. Universe, unity and commitment are more than ever, now more than ever, critical values for a works team. I am confident that the 2020 season will allow us to accomplish even more together. Our ambitions... We're all in this together. I'm, I'm going down the list of cliches. We're, we've knocked right. off three so far. Our ambitions and the strategy of Ruddle DP World F1 team remain unchanged. All right. Bundesliga? Bundesliga. So. All right. So, uh, car sports are not the only sports that are happening soon. German soccer sports are happening as well. Lawsonball. Lawn sport ball. We'll get there, folks. We've talked about RB Leipzig in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the part where Nick pulls up the Bundesliga table to remember what the hell's happening in the Bundesliga. 
Bundesliga, Bundesliga. So I guess background. I mean, German soccer. It's coming back. It's gonna be on your television this weekend. Watch it. Watch NASCAR. Have fun. Enjoy sports. I strongly recommend it. Check out the KBO. It's real great. Uh, Go Dinos. So I watch like. But like the Sunday games are at a reasonable time, right? Uh, they start at like midnight. So. Depending yeah, but on it's your not sleep. like four in the morning. Yes. So depending on your sleep habits, you're either going to catch the first half of a midnight game, or if you're an early bird, you're, you'll catch the ending of the 4.30 game. Right. It's coronavirus. Who's an early bird? No one. No. So I'm now looking at the Bundesliga table, and I think maybe what we should do is go through and kind of just do a fan guide. Talk about every team, like, not every team, but, like, the top teams a little bit briefly. The teams we need to know. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And I if, will not talk for an hour this time. If my memory serves correctly, there's one team that's in quarantine right now. They'll have to wait a week to play. Well. Yeah. So, and they're just going with it, like – like at the UFC oh, event, yeah. the UFC event that happened Saturday, a fighter tested positive. They just scrapped him from the card and went along as planned. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think it's a Bundesliga 2 team. Oh, okay. The Bundesliga 2 is great. The only thing I'll say about them is that St. Pauli is a super capable club, and you should look them up. Were they the one we talked about? Skull and crossbones, anti-fascists. Yes. Bazinga. They're so cool. They're just, oh, man. I want to go. So, obviously, I want to go to the Liverpool game. But I think, like, the second stadium experience I would most like to have is the St. Pauli game. There's flares. There's screaming. For the first, for, like, ten minutes leading up to the match, they don't. Like, they refuse to play any advertisements or music over the loudspeakers. It's just singing and shouting and chanting and screaming. And they call it a blackout for, like, ten minutes before the match. They just hype each other up. It's incredible. And then other teams, there's, like, a really sad element of fascism in German football. Um, And so, like, other teams will come and bait them and goad them. I'll just kick out of them. And they're from Hamburg, which is an underappreciated city. So let's talk Bundesliga. Um, the Manchester United, the New York Yankees, the uh, LA Lakers of the Bundesliga is Bayern. Bayern Kingship. FC Bayern <sighs> have a complicated history. And are historically the best team in Germany, one of the best teams in the world over the last 10 years. If you made me pick, like, a team of the century so far, it's probably either Barca or these guys. Um, they basically won a World Cup in, uh, in 2014. I mean, like, half ah. the squad was Bayern players. Um, they're good. They're real good. They're less 
I would say they've got less of a stranglehold on the league this year than they do typically. But the league's gotten a lot closer since, like, 2014. A lot of those good players signed away. The band kind of broke up. Here we are now. They're trying to pick up the pieces and move on. They're very good. They are currently sitting in first place with 55 points with 25 games played. Uh, mad goal differential, plus 47. Um, oh, no. so, yeah. so can anybody catch right? them is, is my question. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, and we'll get into that. I'm going to give just a couple shout-outs of players who they've got right now who you should watch for. Their goalkeeper, Emmanuel Neuer, is one of the best in the world. As far as players I think are really good, you want to look out for Emmanuel Neuer, Jerome Boateng, Lucas Hernandez, Thiago uh, Coutinho. Is gonna, that'll be kind of interesting to see how he does for them this year's. And then uh, Arp is literally a year younger than us, and he's an incredibly good footballer. Lewandowski and Muller are two. Lewandowski. That's basically the whole team you just said. <laughs> They're good. Yeah. I'm going to point for like two players on some later sides, man. But <laughs> Iron's good. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead and tell us your Neuer story. Okay. So, way back in 2007, when Neuer was in the lower levels of Bundesliga in the junior club Schalke 04, he played with a player named Yannick Kamba, who is from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. In 2016, uh, Kamba was declared dead in a car accident. This past week, he has been found alive. Uh, he, he had previously denied his death at the German embassy in the Congo in 2018, and <laughs> had that denied, and the justice now after finding him, like, confirmed alive, he suspects his ex-wife of faking his death in a life insurance fraud. So. I don't even know what to do with that. The ex-wife denies the accusations and says he only became aware of her former husband's insurance when he died. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Cool story, bro. You go to jail. German jail, <laughs> which I imagine is, like, much nicer than American jail. So, currently, in second place, are my beloved, but, like, long-suffering and not actually that beloved, because, like, I don't pay that much attention to the Bundesliga, my beloved team, Borussia Dortmund, who are the Boston Red Sox of German soccer all the way. Uh, just, like, right behind Bayern. They've had recent success getting over the, uh, getting over the level. Um... I'm going to go and look at their uh, – Is Royce still there? Now. Wait, What's the that? FIFA se- is the FIFA 17 guy Marco Royce still there? I don't know. Let me see here. Um, because that's the randomest cover athlete since Peyton Hillis on Madden 12, I tell you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't understand why he's there. Uh, like – I think he won a – didn't we agree he won a fan vote or something? Yes. Yeah, he won a fan vote. And Dortmund, unbeknownst to me at the time, has, like, this huge fan base that can win online votes. Kind of like the Cleveland Browns did in 2012. Yeah. 
So I would say as far – yes, he is still uh, – Royce was on that cover, right? Royce, yes. Royce, yeah. So Marco Royce, a guy to watch for on that team. Thorgan Hazard, I mean, he's good. Goats is good. Harlan's good. Hummels is good. Watch those guys. Um, they are currently is, is Hazard related to the other Hazard? Yes, he's related to Eden Hazard. He is definitely the um, lesser. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> he's the uh, who's the other Franco brother? Okay, Dave. Yeah. He's the... <laughs> or what's the lesser Wahlberg? There's Donnie. Mark... Donnie Wahlberg. He's the Donnie Wahlberg, but there's only two of them, and the other one's Marky Mark the Sharky Shark. Um, and the Funky Bunch. Yeah. Good God. Um, no, I mean, so they're, they've got a four-point gap. We just talked about the Wahlbergs. There's a four-point gap to, uh, to Bayern. Who knows, right? Like, these teams haven't played together in a long time. We don't even know how much of the season we're going to be able to finish. Like, there's just so many unanswered questions right now. I think the best assumption when there's less than a like a, a ten point gap is just to assume it's every it's anybody's game. Uh, for the sellouts among us, um, there's RB Leipzig. They're in third. Long Pulse Sport Leipzig. Call them by the full name, Nick. <laughs> we have discussed Red Bulls. Um, here in the past, feel about it as you will. Uh, there are good things to think about Leipzig. While I don't feel them, I will defend the people who do. They have given East German football a lot of pride. Uh, and if there's one thing that you fight communism with, it is unabashed capitalism. Uh, and that is exactly what they're doing. Uh, so good, good, good for them. Um, I don't know. Like, again, I have trouble selling this club to people. Um, they've got a player we want. They should give him to us. Timo Werner, if you listen to the podcast, come to Liverpool. No. Um, Stay at Lombell Sport forever. Why would he do this to me? And, and, and then when your career is almost over, kick it in Union Omaha one year because I need to – know somebody on that team so (laughs) yeah that'd be sweet um as far as standouts there yeah man i mean it's mostly like anonymous young guys timo werner's good i'm excited to watch him and then excited to watch him come to liverpool it's gonna be great um so next we have Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, like historically an okay club. Question: <laughs> Why do all these clubs have Borussia at the front of their name? I never got that. I think it's like I know it's some sort of like superlative, like Real. Let, oh, let's look it up. Like Real Salt Lake, the, the most famous of the Reals. Ah, Borussia is the Latin word for Prussia. So it would be like Germany Dortmund. Or like Prussia Dortmund. Um, Germany Dortmund. We, we should name well, our teams like this. Nebraska Lincoln. Nebraska Lincoln. Massachusetts Boston. 
New York, New York. Ah, so Gladbach uh, refers to a. Um, oh, Mach and Gladbach's not the city? No, Gladbach refers to a river that goes through that city. Nice. Yup. We're cool just story, naming man. teams after rivers. I love it. Oh, Bayer Leverkusen. Leverkusen is actually a city. Bayer is the people who make your aspirin. I mean, they're historically okay-ish. I'll let you uh, work out whether or not you feel ethically sound um, cheering for a team run by Bayer. I think they peddle things uh, less um, less ethically than Red Bull. <laughs> have fun, kids. Make good choices. Um, but but do I they mean, have a shot at the league this year? You know, we're starting to get into the territory where, so I think it's any, it's open season for the title for the top three to, to end up first. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, sure. It's not impossible. I'm not betting on it. Leverkusen, I think we're now like eight points back uh, and there's a talent gap for sure. Um, the interesting race is really going to be one, two, three. I think that could finish in any, honestly, one, two, three, four could finish in any order. Uh, I think if Borussia Mönchengladbach slip, Bayer Leverkusen are going to step up and kind of, uh, take that four spot from them. And that'll be all the Champions League spots. As far as the Europa League spots go, um, the six, seven, eight, nine battle is pretty close there's only two points between six and nine respectively with a tie in there so yeah a lot of these matches are going to matter um just to quickly go through those teams you've got Schalke um I kind of have a soft spot spot for Schalke they're like I would compare them to like the Spurs Ah, uh, um, yes. Not, not the San Antonio Spurs, but the Tottenham Hotspur. My um, understanding of the situation has just went way down. Okay, no, they're super not the San Antonio Spurs. They're, they're the Tottenham Hotspur. What's an American team that's like Spurs? Uh, I don't know, like a team that historically does okay and then finds a way to muck it up. Yeah, Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, sure. I mean, whatever. That's fine. I don't think that that's probably the same level of existential pain, but also I don't care if you're in that level of existential pain. But, Who but, dat? Who dat? Uh, I, I believe the Falcons have way more pain than Schalke can fathom. Trust me on this. I'm going to save that rant. Um, we'll see you in November, hopefully. Um, Wolfsburg, fine club. Hoffenheim, not a fan. Freeburg, fine, whatever. Freeburg. Like, again, if you're interested if <laughs> that's the only great part about them. If you're interested in these lower tier clubs, um, go look them up yourself. I seriously encourage people to get excited about lower league German soccer. But, um, I think it's actually kind of awesome that people get to get excited uh-huh. about things they normally wouldn't watch. I think it's super cool that we've all learned that the KBO is all about crazy bat flips. Yes. And cardboard cutouts behind home plate. 
and a cheer squad who is somehow essential service. So, and, and the dinos right. have a mascot named Swole Daddy. And if that's not enough to get you tuned in every night, then uh, pro- you're probably not going to tune in. That was a word mm-hmm. soup. <laughs> the, I would say the only interesting storyline that I'm seeing that I feel like really, really affects um, League One Bundesliga in the second tier of Bundesliga is that Hamburg is having a good season. They hadn't been relegated and hadn't been relegated and hadn't been relegated and then finally did get relegated. Um, I think they were the longest standing club not to be relegated. Um, and then it happened. So it was kind of, and then it happened, which their beef is with St. Pauli. St. Pauli celebrated. I didn't feel good about it. I don't like them, but I also like don't hate them to the level that I would if I lived in Hamburg and had to deal with them every day. <laughs> You know, I think little brother feelings get lost typically over uh, continental divides, especially in a league. I don't pay that much attention. To. But um, no, I think Hamburg is a perfectly legitimate choice as a team in F two. Not F two. Bundesliga two this year for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That little. Be back. Be awesome. It is. Like, like that, that little brother feeling in sports is interesting because I was just thinking about that the other day of how like when the Orlando Magic came into the league, they were like, we're the second Florida team. The Miami Heat are our rival. And the Miami Heat have just never cared about them at all. Yeah. yeah. Like they have ruined no, I think our playoff true. chances twice. And I still don't have any animosity towards them. Yeah, because like it's – very much like, uh, I hate that this is how I feel about it, but I think that, like, Wisconsin fans don't care about us. Not one bit. I Like, Wisconsin fans don't care. Ohio State fans don't care. We're a big little brother team in the Big Ten right now. On a lot of levels. And um, I honestly don't like this feeling. You know, it really hurts. I think a lot of Iowa fans are starting to not care. They've won five in a row against us. Like, and they already have a little brother in Iowa State. There's not room in that house for two. Okay. So I've just looked up American soccer players in Germany right now. If people like still care about American men's soccer, if you do... God bless you. Oh, one thing I do want to mention, they're making a Netflix show about the 99 um, Yes, I saw Women's that. World Cup. That's going to be Oh, really my good. God, it's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be so good. I'm so, like, you know what? I'm to the point where I care more about the women's national team than the men's national team. I'm happy to say that. That's how every American should be. The women have done nothing yeah. but win. <laughs> Yeah. That's such a good feeling. And someday, someone's going to write an incredible book about all of this, right? And God bless the person who sits down and does it and gets the quotes from all these people and gets them to be, like, honest in their old age at their old folks' home. But, like, I think that it's a super powerful metaphor that is the men have gotten worse and worse, frankly, because of, like, there are few catastrophes in sports history that are more avoidable than us sucking at soccer on the men's level. 
And while, yes, you can argue that the American women's game have every advantage, they've also taken every advantage. Um, And I think it's really powerful to watch them be a unit, have generational, like, simpatico. Like, the women on the team now talk to the women on the team before, and all of them are helping bring up the young guns now. Um, it's a pivotal moment for them as far as dynasty building because there's a lot of turnover right now. But at the same time, I think there's lots of reasons to be optimistic. U.S. women's soccer is great. More people should get hype about it. But Americans in the Bundesliga. Let's look here. Don Brooks plays on the uh, on the national John team. Brooks. Timothy. Wait, wait, what team is John Brooks on? I owe a lot to that man. How do you owe a lot to John Brooks? Remember the game against Ghana? The 2014 World Cup? Do you remember that game, Nick? I'm not convinced this is the same guy. Uh, Hold on. That, there's no way there's two John Brooks in American soccer. No, I don't remember John Brooks. I just – was he a center back? He was oh, on crap. the team. The highlight <laughs> video they're showing me above John Brooks – uh, is a different guy. Yes. Okay. I remember John Brooks. Wait. So this is a different John Brooks. No, this is the same John Brooks. Go I got ahead. confused because of the layout of this website. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Bobby Wood plays for Hamburg. Julian Green plays for. Uh... What, was he on the team? The national team in 2014? That name sounds familiar. Which one? Julian Green. Yeah, I think so. He's 24, so probably. I'm trying to remember the 2014 squad, and I couldn't even qualify for the last World Cup. <laughs> Did you, wait, hold on. Did you just say you didn't follow us in the last World Cup? No, I said we didn't qualify for the last World Cup. Um, I, was, I was afraid I had to explain to you that the most powerful and wealthy nation in the world wasn't able to show up to the World Cup. God. That's so bad. God, American soccer pisses me off so much. How are we not better than we are? It is just statistically improbable that we have made this many mistakes. And it's mistakes, Justin. It's just wrong decisions every step of the way. Some of them reaching back to the 80s, arguably. Just like systemic decisions around how to build the American League, about how to get Americans into soccer. The tri- honestly, like the treatment of the women's team, I think from the men's side has been a huge like problem. Frankly, like it's stupid to me that we in America assume that the popularity of women's soccer and the popularity of men's soccer have nothing to do with each other. And if those two halves of the national team could get together and like have fun and joke around, I would have a lot more goodwill towards the men, but they can't seem to shut their mouths about whether or not the women deserve more compensation. And like none of them are having smarter, coherent thoughts about it. And it pisses me off. And it pisses me off that they're not putting pressure on the FA to compensate the women fairly. It's, it's incredibly frustrating to me. I think that, like, the kind of branding 
I'm going to get sappy for a minute here. Soccer is and always will be a people's game, right? It is definitely by the people, for the people. Any group of kids who have two posts, I guess four posts, and a spiritual object anywhere in the world can play soccer. Um, it's democratic. It's collaborative. It's all about working together and all about learning from each other. It's been an incredible tool to stomp out racism. It's been an incredible tool to stomp out sexism. Um, it, it's meant to bring people together. And it hurts me that our national team, and to some extent there's fault on both sides, but I think mostly it's pretty clear where a lot of this falls. I think it hurts me that our national team is used as a fulcrum for division, not only on gender, but also on race and also on immigration issues and also on, you know, Americans disliking Europeans because what the hell, let's all get along and enjoy a sport together. What I'm saying is the essence of soccer, the true beauty of it is wrapped up in the song Wave and Flag. Uh, and we're just not showing up to the table on, uh, on that spirit. That is a stellar song. Oh my God, it's perfect. It's like... As a World Cup song, nothing will ever beat it for me. Like, when you say the world, World Cup, I'm like, oh, like, I just immediately think of that. And I didn't even pay attention to the World Cup in South Africa. But, like, I remember that song. That and Waka Waka. Like, what did we do to deserve those songs? Waka Waka's fun. It's not waving flag. I, I... I think Wave and Flag's a better World Cup song, but like, yeah. But Walk Walk, you could just hear on the radio and just like vibe too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think the Qatari World Cup, here's my prediction the Qatari World Cup's going to have terrible, terrible, terrible World Cup songs. Like, oh. it'll be like Pitbull and like. We tried like, Pitbull, it didn't work, okay? And then, and then we yeah, went. But then we'll we're going to do it again. We're going to shoot ourselves in the foot again. I think the next good shot at a good World Cup song is 2026, and I think it's going to be great. Okay, I I have somewhat. I don't. I won't say hope for 2022, but they've screwed it up so bad in 14 and 18. In 14, they had Pitbull. In 2018, they had Will Smith and Jay Balvin. Like, I don't think I've ever heard the 2018 World Cup song. Yeah, it's like not Russian in the slightest. But see, like, I'm afraid that like they're just gonna like pick a song from Aladdin for 2022, <laughs> or like I don't know. I have so many worries for 2022. Oh yeah, the theme song should be the least of our worries, but slavery terrorism players dying of heat stroke systemic oppression of women in this country the systemic oppression of minorities in this country i hate fifa i hate fifa i hate fifa i oh my god again fifa is a good example of just like looking around and asking how did we get here the stories sorry Money machine, go burr. No, you can't just kill the world's game. 
<laughs> Money machine go burr. <laughs> oh my god, that's such a great beat format. Oh god. It's so perfect for the moment, right? Yes. Like, you can't just not test people. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Economy restart machine go burr. Go burr. <laughs> you can't just, you know, like lie to people about when a vaccine's coming. Ha ha. Press secretary machine go burr. burr. <laughs> God. What a world. But there's a little more soccer in it this weekend and a little more motorsport. I'm not going to preview NASCAR because I don't even feel good about the fact that I'll probably be watching it. But I will probably be watching it. Bet on Denny Hamlin. He's, he's been good this year. Oh, man. I should gamble on it. That's a great idea. Yep. But bet the farm on Denny Hamlin. <laughs> what channel is it on? I think Fox has NASCAR rights. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that's you know, that, that checks out. That's yep. pretty symmetrical with life. <laughs> oh, God, help us. I'm watching NASCAR. What is this world? <laughs> Sorry to an audition. You have a nice rest of your day, bro. All right, thank you. You too. Peace. Yeah. <laughs>